Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on the silver screen. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Action Addicts Podcast, I'm your host Scott Wiley, and today we will be talking about Showdown in Manila. Showdown in Manila is an Alexander Nevsky starring and produced film with Mark Dukaskas sitting in the director's chair, and it is a low-budget film, and that's all I'm going to say because this is a conversation. This is definitely a conversation. As you will have seen from the episode title, my guest this week is Matthew Essery. He is returning once again to chat films with me, and full disclosure, as I did say at the end of last week's episode, this episode was recorded a long, long time ago. So long, in fact, that I actually had to cut a section of the conversation out, because it was talking about the creation of another friend's show, And that show has not only been created, but it has, you know, like a dozen episodes out there in the wild now. So uh, I didn't see the point in leaving that bit in because it uh, it's already out. It's already in the wild. And I'm sure you've already listened to the episodes that, you know, so, yeah. Apologies to Matt for this taking so long. But thankfully, Matt is a very good sport and wasn't too fast. But in combination between my laptop dying and just life. This one has been sat in the back burner for a while. This is the perfect time to release it. I believe that this is basically the end of the ones that have been waiting an eternity to come out. And now it's just a a couple more that have been waiting, but they haven't been waiting anywhere near as long as this one and last week's episode have. I must say as well, please do listen to this one all the way through because... How we talk about this one might be a bit of a shock to regular listeners because, uh, <laughs> uh, spoilers, I made, I, I, I did this conversation not long after I'd finished watching it. Uh, I think it was like a day and my uh, feelings on it hadn't really changed from my initial reactions to it. And that was very much, as I say in the episode, why I wanted to do an episode on it. Uh, I watched two films. One was this one and the other was Death Fighter. And Death Fighter would have been a much more traditional, yay, let's talk about a really cool underrated action film. And that that episode may still happen in the future, I haven't decided yet. But this episode is a little bit different to my normal format. This is more along the lines of the Mortal Kombat episode, which if you've listened to that one, that should give you a hint as to how much I may or may not have enjoyed this. But... And the crucial part of this but is, is that you need to listen to everything before just writing it off because, yes, I do have a lot of negative comments to make about this film, but we have quite a lot of positive ones as well. And I really think that this is a really healthy way of reviewing films that maybe do not hit the mark. There's a lot to like about this film. There's a lot to not like about this film. And we kind of cover both and we have a wider talk about the industry and why that this might be the way it is. So without further ado, I'm going to pass you over to myself and Matt 
who can guide you further on the journey you're about to go through. See you for the outro, guys. Enjoy. All right, we're here. We're back. It's it's live, but not when you're listening. I'm here once again, joined by Matthew Essery, who is becoming our most prolific returner. I will now let him introduce you, even though if you're a regular listener, you already know about his pen. But for everyone who's new, here we go. Take it away, Matt. Oh, Scott, you are never going to get rid of me. Uh, yes, my name is Matthew Essery. I'm a film critic and a, 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 a writer about film. Uh, I'm also a podcaster, and uh, I'm a prolific on Twitter, where I talk a lot about films on, on what is known as film Twitter. You may have seen my articles on Film Combat Syndicate, uh, The Old Ain't It Cool News, Screen Anarchy. Most recently, I've been writing for Polygon, if you can believe that. So mostly, I, I write a lot about action films, um, but really, I watch a lot of different films, and I will talk to anyone about anything film-related if they, if they want me to be on their show or you know, just hang out and chit-chat. You didn't say your famous catchphrase. Oh, do you, do you want me to throw that out right now? Okay. Uh, <laughs> the catchphrase is for the end, my friend. You know, you, you got to hit him with the high spot at the end. Uh, fair but, enough. Uh, fair enough. We'll, no, no, we'll leave it there. We'll leave. We'll, we'll leave it waiting. hanging. We'll leave it. Leave it all mysterious for right now. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I do yeah. also want to quickly add because you're right because you weren't writing for Polygon the last time that you came on, which means you know. Uh, to give you a bit of an ego boost here, I can now be like, hey, look, guys, we've got a professional journalist on the show. <laughs> well, let's just say I, I, I make more. Well, I've, I've been a professional for a while, but now, but now I can at least say I may I make decent money doing it. So I keep I keep snaking my way up that ladder of legitimacy. You, you knew what I meant, though. <laughs> I, I do. I do. I do. But yeah. Yeah. So I, I've, I've, I've published. Uh, Three articles for Polygon right now. I've I've got a fourth coming. Uh, it may be out by the time this episode's out. I don't know, but uh, so yeah, I've actually been published on that web on that website multiple times. Shockingly enough, so if you read Polygon, go go look for me on there. I'm usually in the streaming section where I'm talking about things that are available to stream. And, and I'm gonna add, if you don't read Polygon, that's not an excuse to not go read Matt's stuff because Matt's really good and he writes interesting things. So if like me. You don't really go on Polygon, but you make an exception for Matt. You should do that too. Well, I think I think I'm contractually obligated to say that Polygon is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't ama- say it was bad. <laughs> I just said I don't read it. Like that's that's. <laughs> I read it every day. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, no. but fair <laughs> enough. Anyway, uh, as I will have already said in the intro, but I'll repeat it because I never know what I'm going to say in my intros. I pretend, but you know, I'm, I'm dropping the facade. I have no idea what my intros are. I'm fast and loose. But we're going to be talking about Showdown in Manila. And I watched this film for the first time the other day. I had actually heard of this film for a long time. And I'd kind of heard that the me not seeing it was the best way to enjoy it. However, it's free on Tubi. Uh, so mm. I was like, why not? I, I, I had the time. I wanted to see it. The cast is decent, according to the trailer and the poster and the front cover of the thing itself. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure it cannot be as bad as people say. Like, I've watched really low budget action stuff. I know going in that it's not going to blow my mind. But if it has a bunch of old action dudes that I like still kicking ass, I will be happy. 
And that's all I wanted it to be. And it couldn't even reach that low expectation, just as a warning. What were your thoughts of this film, Matt? Well, uh, to talk about Shodown in Manila and, and this whole world of, of what you can't even really call it B action. It's 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 on a tier lower than that. Uh, yeah, this is definitely C. Yeah. Uh, to, to me, Shodown in Manila is a movie that that is much better experiencing your imagination because you see the <laughs> cast list and you're like, oh, I love that guy. Oh, I wonder what happened to her. Oh, I've always liked her work. I haven't seen her in things in years. And oh, they're all in a movie together. It's like it's like a no budget expendables. That's got to be great. And the movie you imagine in your head will be more interesting than what actually exists. And that's and really to me, to me when when B action when when lower grade action movies are really good is when they exceed your expectations and, and they exceed your imagination. Like the movie's better than you thought it would be. Like a movie like Drive when you when you see, like the 1997 movie Drive with Mark Dacascos and Kadeem Hardison. You see that cast, you hear the concept, you're like, that sounds pretty good. But in execution, it's a much better movie. Or like Albert Pune's, uh Kickboxer Two, or you know Nemesis again. Uh, to say, say a, a, another Pune movie. Those are movies that actually overachieve what you expect out of them. That's when those movies become you know good. But not every DTV action film, not every lower tier action film does that. Most of them just kind of coast by on nostalgia or or, or clever concepts. And sadly, Showdown in Manila is one of those where it really like again the movie you imagine in your head when you see the cast list and we're going to go over the cast in a moment it's going to be better than what it actually is sadly but there are interesting things about it and i really can't wait to talk about some of the more interesting aspects of this movie and how it came about and and the peculiar character that's kind of at the center of this film which which we'll get into in a moment as well oh yes yes we will because i need to tell that story so uh before i'd even spoken to matt about doing an episode on this film i uh, full disclosure i was not planning well no okay i was kind of planning on doing an episode on this film because truth be told i now have the, the the impossible mindset of if i watch an action film i'm gonna do an episode on it because that's how i'm hardwired it's like i'm not wasting my time that way i'm being productive it's a lie i tell myself but hey the episode's happening now so it wasn't a lie anyway uh after I finished watching the film, there was one main complaint I had, and I couldn't make up my mind if I was being mean, if I was uh, expecting too much. But there's there's definitely a, a thought that kept crossing through my brain, which is that we will talk about the rest of the cast in a minute. However, the lead actor for this film is a gentleman by the name of Alexander Nevsky. Now, I had no clue who Alexander Nevsky was. But his co-star, Casper Van Dien, I did know who he was, and I know every other name on the list that we'll mention in a minute. So it really confused me as to how Alexander Nevsky is leading all of these other much more famous people. And I use that term loosely. But he's like the main big dog that everyone else looks up to, both figuratively and literally, because he's huge because he's a Russian bodybuilder. I know this because I got really frustrated with the film and I googled it to try and figure out who he was. <laughs> that didn't help because he's a Russian bodybuilder that was really famous in Russia that had a television show, apparently, and it was really successful. And in Russia, he's really famous. Okay, cool. That makes sense. Maybe that's why he's the lead of the film. But no, because the plot thickens. Because then I wondered, 
there was uh, what was that production company at the start? And I was like, it had a really, really weird name. So I looked it up, and sure enough, who do I see owns said production company? Alexander Nevsky! Ah, oh, now this film makes total complete sense! And it kind of recontextualizes it, really, because in reality, this is just a guy who wanted to be in a film with a bunch of people that he liked growing up. So, you know, mm-hmm. mission accomplished. Yeah, his production company is called Hollywood Storm. Uh, and you're right, I mean, he, he, he's a, he was a Russian bodybuilder, uh, a three-time Mystery Universe uh, winner, uh, and, and apparently a, a massive star in his home, Russia. Now, uh, now, how easy it is to verify if that's true or not, I mean, I, I don't know. That's what the internet says. It's, there's not a lot of documentation about, like, like yeah, there's not a lot of documentation on, on English-speaking internet websites about what a big deal this guy may or may not be in his home country. But there's a, there's a few facts that we know. One, the guy is is massive. He is a gigantic man. He's like Arnold Schwarzenegger-like in his stature. And two, he owns a production company that can afford to make action movie vanity projects. Because that's what this is. It is a vanity project. And now, that probably sounds that has some negative connotations, the idea of, oh, this is just here to, so you can play action hero. But I mean, there's nothing really wrong with that, right? I mean, it's kind of, to me, it's kind of interesting that this guy loves action movies so much. He just wants to be an action movie star, and I think that's interesting. But it takes more than money and size, and knowing a bunch of actors, having them on speed dial to be an action star. And yes. that's where Alexander Nevsky kind of fails. He, um, his heart's in the right place, I think. I think, let me start off. Let me, let me be very gentle and say this: for everything I've read about Alexander Nevsky, uh, everything I've seen about him, he seems to be a very nice guy, a very humble guy. But you can be humble, and you can be physically fit, and you can really love this stuff. It doesn't mean you should you should be an action star or even an actor necessarily, um, because he's lacking one thing you need, and it's not even really acting talent. It's to me, action stars should have. Uh, a real innate charisma where you just have to look at them. Like, I mean, your eyes just draw to them when they're on the screen. And Alexander Nevsky, as as big in stature as he is, um, he just has no natural presence. And um, that, that that can be a real detriment. And when you first watch it, if you watch one of those movies, you know, cold, like how I first saw this film back when it first came out, you're like, who is this tall, wooden, kind of dopey guy? And it makes it kind of hard to watch. But to me, but then when you read about him a little bit, when you find a little bit about him, you're like, oh, it's kind of adorable. Because he's just he's just an action fan. He wants to be an action hero. He wants to basically play, he wants to play Arnold Schwarzenegger with a bunch of actors he admired when he was a kid, just like you said. And knowing that, I, I kind of, I've kind of softened on him in general, just knowing that about him. Because, you know, if we were in that position, if, if I had money, if, if I had, you know, some notoriety in a, in, a, in a niche circle, and I had the money to put on to create vanity projects to fund my own movies, so to speak. I might do something similar. Now, I wouldn't put myself as the hero in in a film. I wouldn't be in there with a submachine gun, wearing a bulletproof vest, you know, pretending to kill terrorists. But I totally get where he's coming from. He just wants. He just, you know, because we we love this stuff. We podcast about it. I write about it. We spend all our time talking about it. So I can definitely appreciate. Mr. Nevsky's just just love of this of this kind of lowbrow cinema 
But does that make it good? Not necessarily. No, I a hundred percent agree. I, I've had this I think I actually had this quite recently on an episode that may or may not be out yet. I honestly have lost track on what episode I've said what on, but I, I said, you know, if I was in a position where I had a production company or or some money to make a film, this it well, no, this isn't the sort of film I would make, but I would love to make these style of action films, but done slightly better. You know, I, I've I've said multiple times I'm a big fan of most of the original cast of Power Rangers, and all of them are martial artists. Most of them are better actors than they've been given the opportunity to present. And uh, let's face it, action films do not really require you to be an Oscar-winning actor. So I would 100% get them all together and just be like, here's the cool toys, here's an actual budget, go kick some ass and let's be entertaining. And that's exactly what he tried to do here. I think the biggest problem with the film is that the whole film is built around him. But there is another problem that I don't know if we want to get into yet. So I'm going to save that problem for later, because I think the first thing we should also tell people is just who exactly is in this film, because on paper, this is a stacked cast. Especially if, if, if you love like action movies of like, of like the early 90s, it's a stacked cast. Uh, to start off with, uh, you've got Don the Dragon Wilson, who was in, you know, the, the world famous championship kickboxer. Uh, he was in the Blood Fist films, you know, Blood Fist Ground Zero. You know, basically there were six or seven Blood Fist movies. I wish Rob Antiquary was here to, to clarify the Blood Fist knowledge. But uh, but definitely in a lot of there, there are a lot of Blood Fist films. And, and Don was definitely a, a video store mainstay. And then you've got, you know, Cynthia Rothrock, who if you, if you don't if you're listening to this show, you don't know who Cynthia Rothrock is. Uh, you know, you need to go back and listen to the episode on writing wrongs because <laughs> she is sort of the she is sort of the the queen of kung fu movies, at least when it comes to uh, to people in the West. You know, she is a a, a true Hong Kong movie legend, uh, an action movie legend. Uh, she's in she was in China O'Brien, Martial Law, uh, The Blonde Fury. Uh, you know, just again, martial arts movie royalty to me. That's Cynthia Rothrock. A hundred percent. She is also one of the few people that successfully manages to be both a star in the East and the West. She is in so many Jackie Chan, Sammo Hung, Yoon Byu films, and she's, you know, managed to bring Richard Norton over as well. And then surprisingly, to be completely honest, when they came to America, they also managed to be successful in the West, which is not something that you can say about everybody that managed to get famous in inverted commas from being in those 80s hong kong films it's true very few people i mean it's that's so true and and next on the list is is carrie hero hiroyuki tagawa who you know anyone else to this show should know that carrie hiroyuki tagawa is shang shang sung in the original mortal kombat he's the villain in showdown in little tokyo he's been he's been the villain in probably a dozen dtv action films you know, to me, he's another guy who's who's definitely one of the one of the one of the patron saints of that guy actors. We we see him, we're like, hey, it's that guy. Um, yeah, hundred. But most people know him as Shang Tsung. You know, it has begun. You know, Shang Tsung, your soul is mine, and that's that's him. He will always be Shang Tsung. Yes, a, a role he has reprised several times to the delight of everyone, including myself. He's uh, 
he's one of those guys who thankfully does not look at his most iconic role and go, oh, I'm so beyond that. He goes, yeah, man, I'm in. Let's do some more with it. Which is always fun. It's always fun. Uh, and then you've got you've got o- o- Olivia o- Olivier Gruner, who people will know from Nemesis and uh, movies like Savage. Uh, you know, not not the most well known action guy, but I mean, the people who know Olivier's work really really like it. Um, he's one of those guys who definitely has always been better than the films he's in. Yes, but Nemesis alone makes him one of those kind of video store heroes to a lot of people. And uh, shameless plug for myself here, if uh, you haven't, because I, I think I mentioned it on another episode, but just to just to give another plug, I was actually on the VHUS podcast talking about Olivia Gruner's Savage, and uh, I, spoiler, really enjoyed it. Um, and I think you would really like listening to our conversation about it. If, like me, you had never heard of it, and you like sort of 70s, 80s, weird sci-fi action stuff, not even just films, like... The thing I compared it most to was the Incredible Hulk series. So if that kind of sparks your interest, go listen to that conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. And then kind of rounding out the main part of the cast, you've got Matthias Hughes, who uh, a lot of people will know from No Retreat, No Surrender Part 2, or I Come in Peace, starring Dolph Lundgren, nothing known internationally as Dark Angel. Yes. Which, And if you have not seen I Come in Peace, a.k.a. Dark Angel... That is an amazing film. It should be more well known. He plays the baddie in that. It's uh, it's so much fun. Um, highly recommend uh, Dark Angel. Yeah, a hundred percent. I, I, I promise you there will be an episode of of I Come in Peace, Stroke Dark Angel on the show. I remember the first time I watched it, it blew me away. I could not believe that it, this was not one that was more widely known. Dolph Lundgren and, and Matthias Hughes. I was just like, what? And I will also add that Matthias is also one of those people that you might be listening to us say his name and being, who's that? But I guarantee you, if you Google him and you see this massive, muscular blonde dude who's actually pretty good at martial arts too, you will recognize him. He has played the bad guy or the right-hand man in so many films that I'm not even going to attempt to list them. And I guess the last, well, there's there's two more names. Then then you have Tia Carrere. Who uh, I, I think everyone listening to this will again know her from from a very popular film series, but not an action film series. But she uh, was in Wayne's World one and two, and uh, she I know that her her role in that was very fundamental to uh, my youth growing up because you know for uh, for reasons I'm not going to get into on this podcast. Let's just say she was she was very beautiful in those films, and it was very fundamental for a lot of young men growing up. Um, <laughs> well said. <laughs> And I, I guess to kind of round out the casting, we have to talk about the man who's actually directing the film, but also plays a small part. And that's something we've already mentioned, and that's uh, Mark Dacascus, which is, we, and especially when you see that Mark Dacascus directed this, you're like, The Crying Freeman, you know, Brotherhood of the Wolf, Drive 1997. I love Mark Dacascus. He's directing this, so surely the action has got to be good. And uh, that that's kind of where things start to go wrong. Yes. However, now that we've covered the cast, I do want to address one of my other issues. Oh, actually, there is another cast member, but I have no idea why he's there. Maybe you can tell me before I get into my other issue. I'm going to probably butcher his name, so I apologize in advance. But Dimitri Diuzev as Victor, 
Thank you. Thank you for reminding me about that. I completely forgot to mention him. Yeah. So I don't know who that is. Like I, I, I felt like I should know who that is from the way everybody was treating him. Um, but because obviously he's another Russian along with Alexander Nevsky's character, and they sort of make that connection. They speak Russian to each other. I wondered if he was another uh, famous actor from Russia, like Alexander is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I didn't know if you had more information or not. Well, well, you definitely through context you figured it out. He he is a very popular actor. He's an award winning actor in Russia. Oh, now, okay. Now, 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 do I know a lot about him? No, I do not, because Russian popular Russian cinema, as far as local popular Russian cinema, just is not very big anywhere else. It's it's a very isolated film industry. So to say he's an award winning actor in Russian films that aren't like art house films, I mean, he's he's been in like a hundred films that you've never heard of. <laughs> yeah he's won yeah. awards you've never heard of and that's not to be dismissive it's just that their their local film scene is so insular that unless you go out trying to seek these things out you're never going to hear about them and he is a big he's a very apparently he's a very a very big deal in russia and the film you know stops and focuses focuses on its own him like they make him out to be a big deal in the film like he gets the same kind of intro that you know don the dragon wilson gets or he's he's there with my he's there with 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 olivia gruner as kind of shot as like a big deal. Yeah. But for for every every white person, every every, you know, gringo honky or guilo uh who watches this movie's gonna be like, who is this guy? Why is he a big deal? And because the Nevsky is a star in his home country, as we've established, these movies play theatrically in Russia. And they do well. Because I mean again, apparently again, uh Nevsky's a popular guy there. So they they do okay there, and uh, and they're they're really more made for the Russian audience than they are you know the Western audience. So I mean I think that that's part of how these movies get funded is they make their money back almost through that local film scene. Yeah, no that that makes complete sense actually. That the fact that these get theatrically released in their in their home country makes a lot of sense, um, especially as to how he continues to make films financially viable to attract people to to be in them um the other uh last member of the cast i am going to mention not because they're a big name but because as a character in the film i feel like they're the only one that contributed something to the story and the the flow of the film is uh hazel faith de la cruz as kiki and she is probably the only character that actually like gets to do stuff in this film that isn't a, a big like 90s dtv action star so that that's kind of the whole cast, and and now that we've said that, I kind of want to get into my first pet peeve of this film, and it starts with the poster or, or the front cover of the DVD, depending on how you're looking at this, and it's it's annoying me so much. I'm going to readjust in my chair. <laughs> Go ahead, hit me. So, for those of you who obviously are only listening to us, which is everyone because there is no video, the poster says "Showdown in Manila," and it has a picture. Now, at front and center is Alexander Nevsky. Fair enough. However, on his left is Carrie. Now, he's there, front and center, to the left of Alexander. We'll come back to him. On his right is Mark Dacascos. <laughs> and the two gentlemen either side of them is Olivia Grenier and Dimitri. Now, they're all in tactical armor. And the reason why I'm describing this is because I'm about to go... That shot does not exist anywhere in this film because, as Matt already said, 
Mark Dacascus really isn't in this film, but he's there on the front cover, making you think he's in this film. And Carrie is playing the villain of this film. <laughs> and uh, let's just say him and Mark, I think, had a bet to see who could be in this film the least. <laughs> and they're both there on the front cover, front and center, like they're the main characters next to Alexander. Which follows through to the trailer for the film. And obviously, we've just told you the cast, but you've got to imagine that this trailer is really trying to sell it to you. So when they do the trailer, they have a big thing showing you all of the 90s DTV action stars. They have, you know, Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa. They have Mark Dacascos, Casper Van Dien, Matthias Hughes, Don Wilson, Cynthia Rothrock, Olivia Gruner. This is the 90s reunion you've been waiting for. Yeah, fun fact, none of them show up until over an hour into the sodding film and they do fuck all when they do turn up. Yeah, they show they show up and they and they have like they're in like one uh extended action sequence that I think goes for fifteen minutes. Like I mean, it feels like uh, I, that scene goes on for three goddamn hours, but yeah, fifteen minutes is probably more realistic, but ma wow, time stops when you're watching the action sequence, but we'll get to that. But my pet peeve, but my, my point is is that this film is an expert example of false advertising. It does every dirty trick in the book to make you think you're going to see one film. And in truth, you're seeing a completely different film. Pretty much the entire trailer is the last 15 minutes of this film. So you've already basically seen the big showcase spectacle that they were clearly trying to build to if you've seen the trailer. And the rest of the film is actually just Alexander Nevsky and Casper Van Dien kind of just trying to be a buddy cop duo, giving each other quips. And that is actually kind of okay with me, for reasons we'll get into later, but, like, that ain't the film that everybody sat down to watch, you know? Yeah, and I, I get they have to make money, they have to sell these things to, uh, to streaming services and to... Uh... I'm not getting not video stores anymore, but they had to convince people to rent these things and to try to watch them. Uh, to, they, they want your $2.99 to pay for that digital rental. Uh, they want you to buy the DVD cheaply at your local you know, big box store. But yeah, it's frustrating when you think it's going to be one thing and it ends up being something else. And, uh, and you know, it, and it'd be fine if, if, it had, if, if these action stars popped up near the end, they had their one action sequence. And that, it, that, that I'd be perfectly okay with that if the movie itself felt competent. And I don't like to be overly negative, but this movie is not really competently made. And I don't want to put the blame on on, on Marta Koskis because I mean he's because he's somebody I'm clearly a huge fan of. If you've ever seen my if you've ever seen me on other podcasts, you've ever read my writing, I, I praise Dacascus quite a bit as an action star and as a performer. But he he didn't know how to kind of convey that knowledge of of choreography and martial arts into filming an action film. Uh, the whole movie is very flat. Yes, and I I, I don't know because admittedly I I didn't look into it because again I, I had the thought and then uh, it left my brain until just this second. But I I don't think that Mark was necessarily the director for all of this film. I, I, it really does feel like the 
fights and and some of the sequences that I'm calling fights, it's a it's the loosest version of a fight that you're imagining. Or whatever you're imagining, take it down by ten notches. Yeah. yeah. But they feel like every every other fight feels like somebody different choreographed it. It feels like somebody different filmed it and somebody different edited it. And I almost wonder, especially at the end, and again, I know we're jumping ahead, but it, it, it's all relative. It really feels like each uh, action star basically did their own action scenes. And then they tried to make all their styles work into a blend. And it really, really doesn't. No, no, not at all, really. And it's got that it's got that kind of cheap thing you see so often in Laura Jack's films now, where where every gunshot is uh, is CGI muzzle flashes, and uh, it's just it, it le- kind of becomes this kind of disjointed, kind of mushy, just mess. And uh, and if you don't have the if you don't have a lot of uh, of plot to keep you interested, you don't have a lot of charismatic performers to keep you interested. And the action's not that good. The whole movie just kind of becomes a slog to get through. It's not a long film. It's like an hour and forty minutes, but it certainly feels longer. And I and when I when I comment on the charisma of the cast, don't think I'm saying bad things about Don Wilson or Cynthia Rothrock or or Carrie or Tia Carrer or Olivier or Matthias. They're all very charismatic performers. They're just not given much to do. Yes, like uh, we could go plot point by plot point and talk about this film. But there's really no need to do that. Basically, uh, at about the halfway point of the film, they figure out where the bad guy is. And uh, and uh, Alexander Nevsky basically is like, I'm going to call in some of my old buddies to help us take out the bad guy, some of my old mercenary buddies. And the buddies he calls in are this all-star lineup of, you know, DTV B-movie actors. Yes. So and they it, literally it, just... It, 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 sorry, it genuinely feels like they were filming a different film on the other side of the river and just hopped across for a couple of days and then yeah. disappeared back to the film they were doing. Yeah, it's like it's like it's like it's like they wander into like this buddy cop movie, uh, or this like buddy detective film, and then they wander back out after twenty minutes. And it's it's all very kind of shoddy, and they're not given much to do. They're they're all wearing kind of nondescript camo. They've all got very very kind of generic like prop guns. Um, and you know, and there's sure there's there's a little bit of joy in watching Don Wilson throw throw a straight kick, uh, or Cynthia Rothrock, you know, whacking a guy with like one of those extendable like uh, batons, or watching Olivier Gruner uh, throw some throw some punches and take some guys out. There's there's some like base level joy that comes out of that if you like these kind of movies, but. It's just, it's very anemic. They're not given much to do. And it's all kind of in this kind of like vague, like jungle siege scenario. It's all, it's all like low budget Rambo type stuff. And it all just feels very basic. And when you, yeah, you add it all together, it's just so unremarkable. To me, the only thing that becomes really fascinating about the film is again, this kind of this, this weird figure in the center of the film, this, this Alexander Nevsky guy. To me, he's what's the most interesting about the film. But not in the way that he intends. Yeah, I mean, by all means, I'll I'll let you go off on that one in a, in, in a second. But I do just want to add, uh, since since we're talking about the jungle siege now, um, I I agree with you in that it 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 does very very minimally make you go, oh, I like seeing Cynthia and Don throw kicks and punches. 
Yay. But the problem is, is that if they wanted to do that, they kind of messed it up because they brought them in as tactical support. So everybody has a machine gun. And the problem is, is when everybody has a machine gun, including the bad guys, your ability to throw a roundhouse kick or hit people with batons becomes very much pointless. And that was one of the biggest issues I had is you bring in all these martial arts stars and they spend half their time shooting guns badly. And I don't mean they were bad. I just mean like the whole action sequences where any of them are trying to gunfight is just bad. Like there's no other way to, to get around that, unfortunately. But they also have to come up with convoluted reasons as to why they end up in hand to hand fights. Now, the obvious film to compare this part of the film to is The Expendables, which is unfair because it stars much bigger actors who are also younger than a lot of these guys are when they made this, but also it has a much bigger budget. However, they have a very, very similar end sequence where characters are shooting enemies one minute and then moving into a martial arts fight sequence and then swapping back to guns. And I have absolutely no idea why they didn't just copy what almost every other action film would do in a situation and just have them swapping between guns and melee combat they run out of ammo people come at them with machetes not everybody has a gun in the camp like they they kind of set it up but they just don't do anything with it and it's not helped by the fact that it's edited together well i i was gonna say something less than flattering but we'll say someone that perhaps doesn't quite get how action scenes need to flow because some of the logic and the geography of who's fighting and where they're fighting at some points will leave your head spinning going, I have no idea what's going on anymore. I mean, Don Wilson, he goes from being up on a tree line shooting a machine gun. And then the next time you see him, he's in the middle of a big clearing and he's being pushed up against a tree by a guy strangling him. And then he breaks out the martial arts with, and his guns are just gone. And then two minutes later... He's back on the tree line and he's found his gun again. And none of that makes any sense. And it's the same for Cynthia Rothrock. She takes out a machine gun nest. Pretty cool. And then she pulls out batons and starts fighting people in a clearing. Now a long way away from the machine gun nest that she was literally told to take to use as cover for everybody else. And let's not even get into Alexander Nevsky's fight scenes where he literally just flicks his wrist with a big knife and people just fall over. He genuinely was channeling his inner Steven Seagal in those scenes, and I was dying with laughter. <laughs> yeah, uh, so so much of the film is is shoddy, and I I I don't like to. I mean, it's hard to make a movie. It, it is. I mean, I yeah, I I've been in this game long enough. I've spoken to many filmmakers, and I understand how hard it is to make to make a movie. So I try to be forgiving. I try I try to always assume best intent. Oh. I do as well, but the reason why I bring all that up, and I'm sorry to cut you off there, is because you'll notice I didn't say that Olivia Grunet's stuff gave me that impression. Because Olivia Grunet kind of steals the show for me in the very limited time he's in, but one of the reasons why he does that is because he seems to actually understand that he's playing a military guy, so he kills people, kind of brutally, if we're being honest, but he does it realistically like you would expect someone sneaking through the jungle to do. Like, I don't think he has, but of all of them, he actually gives off this vibe of, I've served in the military, I kind of know what I'm doing. He is just so clean and efficient at killing people that 
I almost kind of just forgot about everyone else. I was like, can I just have more of him? And I never thought I would say that if you stacked him up against Don the Dragon Wilson, Cynthia Rothrock, Carrie Hiragara Takoya, and Mark Dacascus. You know, it's like, yeah. that was not something I thought I was going to come away from this film thinking. Yeah, that, well, you know, I talked about this off the air, but that's one thing that, that Olivier's always done in his career. He's always been he's always been better than the material he's been given. And he's, to me, I'll, I'll even so far as say, he gives the only good performance in this movie. Like, his acting's actually good. Like yes. he's believable in the role, not just not just from physical standpoint, but when he has to deliver his lines and, and be and do actual acting, he is solid. And it makes me wish there was a movie where he got to be like a jungle commando, like a grizzled old jungle commando in like a like a Rambo, like you know, a later day Rambo type film where he get to just be this kind of character. And he was the focus because he's in it a frustratingly small amount. He's maybe in the movie total five minutes. But his five minutes are hands down the best part of the movie by a wide margin. Yes, no, I agree. What well, one thing that I will say, like I I know I'm kind of giving the film a lot of uh, of jip, but the they, they th- this jungle scene does actually have my favorite uh, dialogue in the entire film uh, before the combat starts when they all show up on the boat. Everybody gets introduced one by one to Casper Van Dien's character because for him and the audience, obviously, we have no idea who these people are. So they introduce themselves. And then, um, the, the, the Dimitri, the other Russian, he, he has my, my favorite exchange in the whole film with, uh, Nevsky, which is that he gets, he's like, Oh, hello. Nice to see you. Whatever he says. And then he's like, Oh, and of course, you know, the three stooges. And then Nevsky looks at them. And of course, they have that moment where the camera holds on just the three 90s action stars. And then Nevsky says, yeah, I think I've seen a few of their movies. And I thought, oh, if only the film was more like that. Where's that yeah. writing been? <laughs> yeah. And it's, and you know, uh, and I felt like we, we, we've kind of, we, we've been really hard on the film. And like I said, I don't mean to be so hard on it. We should be honest. But I think it comes down to, Nevsky wants to make good movies because Nevsky wrote this movie. He obviously put it together. Um, he kind of he did all the finances. I'm sure he had a big hand in getting the behind the scenes people together to make the film. And you can really tell that he loves these people. That he is a fan of of of, of Olivier and Matthias and uh, Cynthia Rothrock and and Don and all the and all these people. And he wants to give them cool moments. And I can appreciate that. I really can. And, but it looks like it just, the fact that it doesn't work is frustrating. I think that's the thing with this film is the reason why I wanted to talk about it is because it's, it, it's such a missed opportunity, but not because somebody was obsessed with money. It wasn't like a big budget production where there was no soul or heart. It had all of the right ingredients, but what it lacked was, I think, Somebody needed to be steering the ship, but wasn't also trying to star in it, write it, make it good, direct it. You know what I mean? Like, I think it needed some oversight for people to sort of go, look, I know you guys are legends. I know you're financing the film, but this this isn't going to work. You need to hire some people that know what they're doing and trust them to guide you guys like. I know that some of those guys especially very much are like, no, no, we, we do our own action scenes because I've, I've heard them say it in podcasts. And it's like, you did do your own action scenes, but the world has kind of evolved since then. 
you want to make something that not necessarily is going to impress people because I think that's just not going to happen with this sort of budget, but you want it to at least be comparable. You know, you want to put your best foot forward. Yes, you're aging, but everybody knows that these guys are still skilled. Like Don Wilson is not a young guy, but I'll wager he's fitter and more athletically able to perform martial arts than 90% of people two thirds his age, you know? Oh, definitely. And I, th I think that, it's all. It's also about knowing how to use these people properly, uh, and I think that that's part of where the movie fails, and and why I think that there could be hope for the future if if Nevsky keeps wanting to do these kind of star-studded, uh, star-studied. I, I don't mean to say star-studied, saying that loosely, but you know, using these aging stars in these marquee roles. I think there. I think that, I think it shows that if he, if he if he if he keeps refining it. He may make something that's that's if not good, at least more watchable. If he just keeps working on refining it, part of that is realizing that is realizing the limitations of your cast and his own limitations too. Like to me, a, a lot of the reason this movie doesn't work is because of Nevsky himself. Now I find Nevsky fascinating. The more I've kind of learned about him over the past couple of days, and I, I've watched this film and one other film he, he's done. And again, I, I find his his kind of his his clear fandom of this stuff interesting and relatable, and I kind I kind of root for him. But he's not Schwarzenegger. He's not Stallone. He's not even Seagal. Unfortunately, I have to agree. Now, again, I think he see like I said, everything I've seen about him, he comes across as a very nice guy. He's a guy I probably enjoy having a conversation with and having 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 a pint with. But he's not someone who should probably be in the position he puts himself in in this film, because he's not very athletic for for, for a big guy. Like you no. mentioned, the idea that that he just kind of waves his hands around and guys fall down—that's literally not an exaggeration. There's a scene in the very beginning of the film where he picks up a he picks up a machete and goes into a hallway, and a bunch of guys come at him, and he literally just waves the machete around and guys fall down around him. That is not an exaggeration. That's not me making fun of it. That is literally what happens in the film. Yep. And to me, it's kind of mystifying that a guy who is clearly in such good shape, clearly has such an impressive physical stature, could be so inept at the physicality that comes with being an action star. But he does not have. He does not. He doesn't. He doesn't have. He doesn't have that physicality. He doesn't have that that sort of body charisma. And he doesn't have like like natural like. Like, you know, what we think of as charisma either, but there are two kinds of charisma. There's charisma of personality and there's charisma of like body English. And he has neither. And it's really unfortunate because he could, if he had one of those two things, he could be, he could be a low level star. He just doesn't. And he, tra and, uh, he tries to make up with that with enthusiasm and, uh, and, and funding his own projects. And it just doesn't quite work. But part of me kind of roots for him to, to pull it all together eventually. But he's just, his English isn't that great. He clearly wants to be like a a jokey like '80s action hero, but he just doesn't have he doesn't have the the the, the voice for it. He doesn't have the the action chops for it. But yet he's at the center of this film, just kind of being like this kind of big hulking like fanboy. I mean, he even feels like a fanboy in the film of these people around him. And so, it, in a way, it's endearing, but in a way, it's so frustrating at the same time because because. In a way, he is us, but but you and I aren't trying to star in like an actual, you know, DTV action film. No, no, exactly. I do also think that some of his his physical 
uh, issues because I, I I had the same thought. Like he's a big guy. I wasn't expecting him to be doing wushu. You know, I thought he was going to be uh, uh, doing like wrestling takedowns, doing big boxing type punches, but you get none of that. He's he's a brawler. He just throws haymakers if if you're lucky, or as I say, Steven Seagal, people fall down. However, you bring in up an excellent point that he's not very athletic, and I think there are a few sequences in the film that kind of give away the reasons why, and it's because he's a bodybuilder. But unlike, say, Schwarzenegger, who quickly realized that don't work if you want to be an action star, he is still built like he's in pro bodybuilding, and there were multiple moments where I noticed he cannot straighten his arms in certain scenes because he is in that I have amazing biceps pose, but I have no triceps to speak of. You know, that weird walk that only bodybuilders do when they're way too big for anything other than a competition. Yeah. And he does that several times in this film, and it makes you go, okay, I can see now why you're 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 punching the way you do, because you physically cannot punch the way that most people would in an action film. And it's a shame because there are a few scenes where I think he does kind of almost shine physically. The scene in particular is uh, where he's essentially torturing one of the bad guys by crushing his kneecap. And the reason why it works is because he has no emotions on his face and he's taking pleasure in it and he's trying to be this tough guy. And that's the only time it kind of works because there's no dialogue and no real need for facial expressions. It's purely just body language, and Casper Van Veen's character does all the heavy lifting. That works. The problem I have with the film, and I think you've just kind of highlighted the reason why, is most of the film doesn't do it that way round. Most of the film tries to have Nevsky be the heavy lifter for Casper Van Veen, and his character is basically just one constant screw-up after another, who either constantly needs saving or isn't really doing anything. The problem is, is he's the only one kind of holding this double team together, and the film isn't written that way at all. The scenes where uh, Charlie, Casper Van Dien's character, is allowed to do stuff are the interesting scenes, because when Nevsky is being the, the comedy buddy to him and not the other way around, that kind of works, in my opinion. It does, it does. And it's funny you mentioned that because I'm, I'm going to get into, uh, like I said, I watched another Nevsky movie to prep for this. I wanted to see if Nevsky had improved. So but we'll, but we'll get into that in a second. I know we said that a lot, but I don't want to detract from our main conversation. But you're right. When Nevsky takes a, takes a second, takes a, takes a backseat to Gaspar Van Dien and, and, he, and he becomes sort of the Robin to Casper Van Dien's Batman, then the movie works better because it doesn't require Nevsky to do all the heavy lifting, no pun intended, uh, because he's just not there as a performer. He could be a great heavy, he could be a great sidekick or side character, but he's just he's not a leading man, or at least not yet. I mean, he's he's 50 years old, so I, I imagine the boat is sailed for him actually growing as a performer, but uh, he just he needs to learn, like, what made Arnold work, what made a lot of these action stars work in the 80s and 90s, was they understood their limitations. They understood what they were good at and what they were bad at, and they and they played roles in films that accentuated those things. That, that you know, downplayed the negatives, accentuated the positives. And Netsky's not doing that here. And in fact, he's it's kind of the opposite. He's well, Where he's put himself in, he's highlighting all things he's bad at, and not enough of what he's good at. 
Yes. And when the film decides to not do that, when it when it lets him be more stoic, when it lets him be more more lumbersome intentionally, it works better. And the movie just doesn't do that enough. But I think you could you could see that if it was just if it was just cast differently, if it was just structured differently, it might could work. Yes. Um and just just quickly, like on the opposite side, the villains for the film is uh Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa and Matthias Hughes. And unfortunately, I kind of have as many problems with them as I do Alexander. And not for the same reasons, because I, I love Kari. I, I, I do. Me too. But, but he is yeah. not present in this film. Even when he's on screen, he's not present in this film. Like, I, I don't know what was up with him because he, he, he just puts no effort into this performance. And there are blatantly multiple scenes. He's not actually there. It's a double and they try to yeah. cover it, but it, it's super obvious it's not him. Um, yeah. So that's kind of like, it is what it is. You know, I guess this film was just a paycheck to him. He had a couple of moments where he enjoyed himself with some dialogue and everything else. He just kind of slept, walked through. I, I get it. Every actor has films like that. Matthias, yeah. on the other hand, frustrated me because he is present in the film. But they give him nothing to do, like even less than the other guys. But he's like one half of the bad guys. He's the one that kills Mark Dacascos. You think that's going to lead to this big epic fight. He's the one that almost kills Nevsky's character in the beginning of the film that starts this whole thing. And yet when they finally meet, it's literally over in two physical moves. I don't even want to call it a fight because Matthias throws a kick at Casper Van Dien, then Nevsky shows up, punches him once, fights over, he's knocked out. And I'm like, are you kidding me? They are the same size, they are both huge, and Matthias is a great, talented, athletic guy. I was so interested to see how Nevsky's character would deal with someone of the same size and fortitude as him, and the answer was... Well, he he just punches him and it's game over. He's the best, and it's like, yeah. nah, man, that's like that's like a five year old's version of how the story goes. You know, it's like I'm the biggest badass, so I win. It's like, no, no, that just didn't work for me at all. You know? Yeah, I, I, and I think it's probably because they realized that that Nevsky couldn't do the choreography. Um, he just he did he doesn't have the coordination to do it. So they they work with what they have. Um, and but but again, realizing that practically and uh, and watching it actually play out are two different things because it's not entertaining. It's a, is it understandable? Sure, it's understandable. I get why they did it, but does it make for a good movie? Not at all. To be honest, it really it's it's kind of a shame because again, because the film forces Casper Van Dien to be the the comedy half of this duo. He could have had a good fight scene with Matthias because he's actually a pretty good martial artist and he could do the choreography. He played Johnny Cage in Mortal Kombat Legacy Season 2. And, you know, he's been in quite a few things where he has to get physical. And it really, really made me grumpy that he just gets beat up. And it's like, oh, come on, at least let him do something to, be... you know, what I mean, it's like, give him something, yeah. you know? Yeah, and and it feels so much again. I think it's a vanity project, but so much of it feels like Nevsky's vanity project. And I mean, that's fine. I mean, he, it's his money, whatever. I mean, 
but it really it really feels like it feels like you know those things where they talk about where you can go to like a, a camp where you can pretend to be a rock star for two weeks at like a rock star camp or like a fantasy baseball camp where you can play baseball with like retired baseball legends or like they did have soccer soccer camps where you where you can go and play football with retired footballers for like two weeks. Hmm. It feels like this is like Nevsky's like action star fantasy camp recorded. Yeah, that's 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 scarily accurate. And, it, and again, that's that's fine. It's his money, but I mean, it's just it's it's disappointing, and uh, it's sad to see like money and talent be wasted on something like that. But I don't think he does it. I don't think it's malicious. I don't think he he's sitting out to be like this selfish like self-made action star guy i think he just he doesn't quite realize that he's not very good at it and uh and i think that he well i think think his heart's in the right place i think he wants like i said i think he wants to give these older stars moments to shine he wants to make a good movie because you don't you don't no one sets out to make a bad movie no but it just this just misses the mark in every way um to not to, to to kind of to kind of move on, I, I'm going to take us away from this movie for just a moment and say that again. I, I watched I, again. I watched another movie with him. I watched the movie he did after this one. Okay. And I I I, I thought it'd be interesting to comp- to compare them. Uh, um, yeah, sure. Um, just what year did it come out in comparison to this one? This well, Showdown in Manila came out in 2016. Uh, the next film he did was a movie called Maximum Impact, which came out in 2017. So you have to think that he probably saw the reaction to this one. And what I was curious about that was, uh, did, was he going to do more of the same or was it going to be, were, 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 was he going to be able to see any differences in what happened for, from seeing the critical reaction to Showdown in Manila? And interestingly enough, I think that he took some of the criticisms to heart. Because uh, Maximum Impact is not a good movie. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's, not, it's not good. But a lot of things we're complaining about are things that he clearly tried to rectify in the next film. Like, um, for one, the, 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 the show that Maximum Impact, this next film, has a real director. Uh, I'm not going to say his name because I will butcher it. It's a, it's a Polish name and I don't want to offend anyone. But it's directed by a real director. It's directed by the guy who did, oddly enough, Cradle to the Grave. Um, who also directed <laughs> Ro- Ro- Romeo Must Die and Exit Wounds. He's a Polish director. Um yeah, I'm not gonna try to pronounce his name because I will butcher it. I will stumble over it. You can Google it. Uh, but he made he made some legitimate films. Now, are those good films? That's debatable. But they are legitimate Hollywood films. So so anyway, Nefty's got a role director on this one, and he brought back some of the cast in in the southern in the southern movie Maximum Impact. He brings back Mark Dacascus. He brings back Matthias Hughes, and he gives Mark Dacascus a very substantial role as the villain. And it's and in this movie, he surrounds himself again with a lot of known actors, a lot of a lot of really not 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 a level people, but like B level people. Like it starts Kelly Hugh, and it's got Tom Arnold in it, and it's got all, all these kind of like lower level actors. But but again, it's a, it's an ensemble, it's an ensemble piece. But in this one, Nevsky's not the main action guy. He's he's the main character. He's one of the main characters, but he's not like this big badass guy who's good at everything. He humorously plays a computer analyst, and uh, so it kind of juxtaposes the fact that he's kind of this this lumbering Frankenstein-looking guy, but it's but is like his his expertise is actually computer hacking and working for like a government agency as a computer nerd Mm. who ends up in a field situation 
where he has to partner with Kelly Hugh. But he's not doing a lot of action sequences in it. He, he basically dials back him being physical because clearly he's not good at that. And it gives a lot more to Vermar Dacascus to do. Mark Dacascus to be a really over the top, sleazy bad guy. He's actually a former action star. Like his character, Mark Dacascus' character in the movie is a is a washed up action star who's turned to crime. So he gets to kind of lampoon his own image, and he's clearly having a lot of fun. So you have this ensemble film where now Nevsky's not the main character. He's not trying to be an action movie badass. It's directed by a real director. And he's and he's giving more shine to people who clearly can do good work when they're allowed to, and it just makes the movie better. So, what I took away from it, and this again, we're not really talking about this other movie, but I think again, he shows that his heart's in the right place. He wants to make good movies, and I think he's trying to find stuff that works for him. And because he's a guy like you and me, as I've said uh, earlier, I really do feel like he's a fanboy like like we are. I'm kind of rooting for him now at this point. I want him to make one day make a movie where I'm like, that was where I can say legitimately and without irony and, with, and without, you know, sympathy that, hey, he made a pretty all right film. I think he's getting closer to that. And I never would have watched one of his films if you hadn't. I, I would never watch another film by him if you hadn't invited me on this show. But I think, but I think it's important sometimes when 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 we, when we watch these bad films to try to to try to get context on them, to try to understand why they went wrong, and to and try to learn about the people who make them. Because if you can understand what goes into making these films, it makes you appreciate them a little bit more. Because don't get me wrong, Showdown in Manila is a bad movie, but there are interesting things about it. I and I think Nevsky is an interesting character. And I think I think the film world is better with him in it because you know because the world needs characters, the world needs oddballs, and I think those kind of people make the movie industry interesting. And I'm glad he's out there doing his thing. I really am. Now, am I going to watch another Nevsky movie? Probably not. But you know, I'm glad I watched these two to kind of learn about this kind of strange character. Yeah. No. A hundred percent. I mean, uh, to be honest, you know, the film wouldn't exist without him you know there's no way that this film would have been made otherwise you need people like him to finance these types of films and on a personal level i have absolutely no problem with him putting himself in his films no matter how horrific uh his performance might be or how good it might be like i'm not singling him out there's plenty of people in this sort of field that are in the same boat the difference is, is that he's actually using the money to make more films, not buy more mansions. And that's what I like. Like you said, he is a lover of this particular art and it is a dying breed to a degree. And the fact that there are still people out there trying to give life to this very niche genre. Because again, it's not like he's making action films. Because People say, oh, action films aren't dying. No, no, no. Mainstream action films aren't dying. I'm talking about, and you're talking about, the way action films used to be. They're almost their own different genre now. These C and B grade action films are kind of their own thing. That is sort of changing in the last few years, but people making these retro throwbacks, kind of like retro video games, you know, people want to see the films that they grew up watching or the films that they remember renting from the video store for the first time or whatever it is, you know, uh, a fact that people love to throw around is that at once upon a time, Don the Dragon Wilson and Cynthia Rothrock films 
even though they were direct-to-video releases, were making more money than the likes of Stallone and all of the big guys for a very, very small period of time because, wow, we can rent films and take them home. That's a new concept, much in the same way that streaming films at one point were making a lot of money because, wow, films that are just like on Netflix, that's a new concept. And all of those have the same thing in common, which is they don't last. They're, they're, they're eventually the actual king of all of this thing comes back and takes their share of the pie, which is kind of what's happening now and why all the streaming services are going into a panic. But that's a whole, whole different topic. But my point is, people that want to make these types of film, protect them. It doesn't matter how bad they are, there is an audience out there for them. Yes, apparently a lot of them are in Russia, but, you know, there's lots of people that like these films because I see the comments online. I actually watched this film originally thinking I was going to come out defending it because, as I say, I've watched a lot of low-budget action films and nine times out of ten I come away thinking, all right, wasn't amazing, but it was nowhere near as bad as people were saying online. Unfortunately, this wasn't one of them, mm-hmm. but I spent the first half an hour still thinking that I would defend it. Because to me, even though, like I said, I have my issues with Nevsky, I liked the buddy cop aspect of it. And I liked Casper Van Dien. I liked Kiki. Um, I, as I said right at the beginning, I felt like a lot of the supporting characters around them had a lot of strength. Hazel Faith de la Cruz, she was able to bring in some personality and almost manages to get some actual real human emotion out of Nevsky. And when you have her, Casper, him, and you have the Tia Carrer in the same scenes, you almost have like a lifelike conversation between real people. And some of the things that they were talking about that had nothing to do with the plot of the film was interesting and Mm -hmm. it felt almost entertaining as i say it falls apart the minute they try and do any of the action stuff and this is an action film that's that's kind of the problem but i still liked it and also going going back to what you were saying about uh his next film having a real director i i have to laugh and, and give me two seconds sure so uh, the the name that you were trying to to not butcher, I'm gonna attempt it because uh, I'm pretty sure that you pronounce it as Andrei Batkoviak, and I find it funny because when I looked it up while you were talking, because obviously I, I didn't know who it was, I was like, why do I know that name? So yes, Cradle to the Grave, Romeo Must Die, but also Exit Wounds with Good Old Seagal, Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun Li. Oh, this is making a lot more sense. And <laughs> and Dead Reckoning with Scott Adkins. And I just thought, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, his career his career definitely was on a down trajectory for a while. So it explains how it explains how he ended up in this, in this position. But um but again, and don't get me wrong, Maximum Impact is not a good movie either. Um, but I'll, but but I'll try I'll try to lay it out in like a simple way. I gave I've actually reviewed Shodan in Manila officially as a, as a as a professional film critic, and I gave it half a star back when it first came out. I, I watched I watched Maximum Impact for this podcast, and I would give it two stars. That's a that's a big improvement. 
two stars is not a good review. It's not a good score. I mean, it's still that's below average, but that is a huge step up in quality from half a star. Yeah. So if you enjoy those, the parts you mentioned you enjoyed about about Showdown in Manila, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, but the parts you enjoyed about Showdown in Manila, in Manila makes me think you might give Maximum Impact a try. It's 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 a it's a it's a Again, it's not good, but it's got a lot of things you mentioned you liked about Shodan Manila. It's got it's got them just having conversations. It doesn't have a lot of really terrible action sequences. It really tries to give uh, again guys like Marta Costa something to do. Uh, it tries to play towards everyone's strength. But there's a really funny bit, like I said, uh, Marta Costa is playing a washed up actor in the film, he's turned to a life of crime. And he there's a bit as a recurring gag throughout the movie where he, he keeps getting stopped by people who. Who recognize him or think they recognize him, and they're like, they're like, I know you from somewhere. I know you from somewhere. Oh, I love your movies. I love your movies, Mister Jet Lee. <laughs> or, or they'll say things like, you know, I, I love your movies. I, I love your movies so much. Uh, when's the, when's the next Jackie or when's the next Trick Master movie coming out? You know, they they confuse him with Jackie Chan. You know, and it's just, it's just a really dumb little joke, but it's funny because Dacascus is, is a low key funny actor. He he's very good at comedy. And so it's funny to watch him get excited that someone recognizes him and then have his heart broken every time they think he's some other famous Asian action star. Uh, and that's, that's a clever little bit of, that's a clever little bit of writing. And he actually sells it very well. And the movie's full of little bits like that, that, that are kind of interesting and kind of fun. But again, it's just kind of this unwieldy kind of overly, overly complicated, you know, like a lot of DTV movies, there's it's got too much plot for what it is. And it's overly ambitious, but it is a massive improvement over Showdown in Manila. So if if you if you find yourself kind of thinking about Nevsky and, and this weird kind of thing that he's done, being his own little production company, I'd almost recommend to you, my, my friend, to check out Maximum Impact because it is on Tubi as well. You can, you can get it for free on Tubi. Um, it's about an hour. I think it, I think it's right at two hours, which is a little long for those kind of movies, but. But I think it shows that he is trying to make good movies. He's trying to improve. Yeah. Which and I appreciate day, that. Exactly. At the end of the day, if you can improve with every film, even if you're not ever going to break into like uh, an undisputed type film, for example, um, you know, it doesn't matter. If you're making a film that's better than your last one, then you have something you can be proud of. Like, you know, we're, uh, well, I say we, I'm saying, and I know you did as well, but I'm just going to speak for myself. Like, I'm saying this is a bad film, but I still found elements to enjoy in it. It's more that I'm disappointed that you didn't manage to bring the elements together in a better way, more so than I'm annoyed that it's a bad film. Bad film's a bad film. It doesn't really bother me. It's more the, 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 the loss of what could have been that's infuriating when you watch this film. And it's funny because an actor who's nothing to do with any of these films, uh, we uh, Daniel Southworth actually put it into perspective in uh, something that he said on uh, someone else's podcast. And I'd love to give it a shout out, but it was so long ago, I genuinely don't remember what it is. And he, he made a, a great sort of way of looking at his career as an actor. And I, I think the same applies to someone like Nevsky, uh, both as a producer and an actor, which is that Maybe your career hasn't gone the way you want it to. Maybe you didn't get the roles you wanted. Uh, and, you know, the body of work you've done, it's not 
as large as you'd like it to be or whatever the case might be, that is constantly going to just fill you with negativity. Instead, look at the body of work that you've actually managed to do because you work in Hollywood. Now, yes, I know the films are made in Hollywood, but that is the industry. You make films. Making films is not easy. Making films is an absolute nightmare. And 99% of people that want to make films or be in films never will. You have multiple films to your name on a resume. Congrats. You've done more than majority of the people in your field ever will. You know? It's, it's true. And like I said, I think that's to be admired. And to me, I think that uh, there's, there's always to be learned from these kind of films and from these characters like Nevsky. Um, because, again, it's, um, it's hard to like see, it's hard to make films. And so many people fail at doing this. Or, or they make one movie and then disappear. So a guy who's kind of created his own little self-sustaining industry, that's, that's, that's admirable and it's interesting. Now, our, again, the products aren't good necessarily, but I think they're, they're worth at least checking out as a curiosity. And just to say this again, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I really feel this way now. I'm actually rooting for Nevsky um, to, to, to make that good movie someday because, again, he is trying to improve. Like, he saw that people liked Mark Dacascus and he probably wasn't in him at all enough. So his next film, he gives Mark Dacascus a major role. And Mark Dacascus is in most of Showdown in Manila and makes the movie really kind of watchable almost by himself because his villain is very, is very fun. It's very, it's a very, it's a very meaty role for him. And, uh, and you can see, you can really see that, that, um, that's thought, well, I need to do more with this guy who I've got access to. He deserves more. And then you have, and then it was someone like Olivier Gruner who said was so good in this, in his little part. Apparently, in Nevsky's next movie, which is a Western, the, the co-lead of it is, is Olivier Gruner. So, again, he's trying to give these people that he likes things to do. And uh, I think he's recognizing this guy does good works. So I want to do more with him. Um, and that's admirable. It shows that he's trying to learn. He's trying to be better. Now, am I going to watch Nevsky's Western with, with Olivier Gruner? Again, I'm probably not. But I appreciate that he's trying to... He's, He's trying to keep, he's trying to work. He's trying to produce things. He's not giving up. And, and we need, we need more kind of, like I said, people who just, who follow their dreams and, and, and make their own little weird art. And just because it's not for you or me, that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean there's not people out there who don't appreciate this stuff and really like it. Like you said, you've read the comments about Nevsky stuff and some people really like it. Some people really dig what he does. There's a lot of people who are really into ironic movie watching who dig this stuff. There's people in, in Nevsky's home country who legitimately like it earnestly. And, you know, I'm glad they have these films. So I'm, I'm glad Nevsky's out there doing his thing and, and being his own kind of unique action star. Like, I, I, heard, it, I heard Nevsky called once. I heard him labeled as the action movie Tommy Wiseau of, of, of The Room fame. Like, he was compared <laughs> favorably to Tommy Wiseau. And I thought at first that was ridiculous. Um, but the more I think about it, it's true. Because Nevsky, much like what why so, again, is an oddball character, and I will never, ever root against oddball characters, because they make life interesting. They make weird outsider art that they think is they make these weird kind of oddball films that they think are so mainstream, but really they're just these weird kind of like curios that are kind of they're not entertaining in a traditional sense. 
but they're fascinating and they help me learn more about filmmaking and uh, more about the creative process. Just they're seeing the, the mistakes, the, the, the weird quirkiness of them. To me, there's so much to glean from these kind of films, almost in what they do. Uh, there's almost as much to learn from them from what they do wrong as what they do right. And um, so, so again, I, I didn't, I didn't like shit on Manila. I didn't really like Maximum Impact that much either, even though I thought it improved. But I'm really glad they exist because the world needs more weird art. You know, if it, bad, good, it's indifferent. I'm just glad that the weird stuff like this exists. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. You know. It, it... This episode is probably going to come off a bit like for regular listeners. If this is your first time, listen, hello. Um, we, I also did an episode on Mortal Kombat and, uh, spoilers. I'm not its biggest fan. I'm talking about the 2021 reboot, but much it's like bad, <laughs> but much like this film, although yes, me and, and guest of that episode, uh, Twitch streamer DB Geek. We, we rip it to shreds, uh, not even in all the ways that people, I think, expect, because we're big MK nerds. We know the lore back to front. I think we've played all of the games. And, uh, you know, there's there's way more issues that film has than just in the action department and the editing department. But uh, trust me, that gets mentioned too. But the point that I'm trying to make is we're saying this film is bad. I said that film is bad. But we've also said the good we've said the redeeming qualities we've said what we wished they'd done instead what they perhaps could have done differently or why certain decisions were made they're two very very different films i mean one's a, unfortunately a massive hollywood blockbuster success and the other one is a very 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 small uh c level budget film but there's still things you can find in both of them that makes them worthy of being a film you know it, it it's it's weird like so many people struggle with the idea that it matters what type of film you're watching to review it like you said you you reviewed this film uh for one of your previous jobs obviously you you put the link to that review in in the tweet that started put this whole thing going and your review I could have wrote that, like, if you'd asked me to write down my thoughts about the film, it was so freaky how you basically just wrote down what I was thinking, right down to the point that we both agreed that Olivia Gruner was the best part of this film. And I just think that a lot of people will probably have the same reaction to this film that we did, if they can even get through it. Because I think majority of people's reactions to seeing this film will be, God no. And they'll tap out within the first five minutes because I saw loads of comments like that. Like I saw one that really wound me up. It was like, oh, my God, CGI blood spatter scenes. and No, thanks. And it's like, come on. It's a low budget action film. What do you expect? Yeah. And uh, to go back to, to go back to the, the review I wrote, I, I wrote that back when this came out. Like I said, I was it was part of my pre uh, job I had previously. And uh, that, that was my initial gut reaction to it. I think it's why our reactions were so similar. Because I, I watched it and then immediately wrote that. But I think when you sit with these things and you kind of mold them over over time, you, t- you end up softening on them a little bit. And, you know, I've, I've kind of been probably nicer than people were expecting when it comes to this film. But again, it's because I've had time to think about it. 
And I will always be kinder to little movies like this that try and fail than I will be something like Mortal Kombat, you know, 21. Because that movie is a big budget film. It has all the money, all the resources in the world. It's got it's got A-list action stars in it. It's got it's got all this top-notch, you know, people behind the cameras and people in front of the cameras. It's got every reason to be an amazing film. And it's just bad. Uh, there, there are good things about it, sure. But I will, I will always be much kinder to little movies that try and fail than I will be, you know, big studio pictures that half-ass it. So if you're asking me which movie I think is better between Mortal Kombat 21 and this and Showdown in Manila, I will much sooner champion Showdown in Manila because at least it's at least it feels like it's trying. It's yeah. inept, but it's trying. Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. Um, I'm, I'm going to do something that I, I very rarely do because mostly because I feel like we've come to the end of talking about this film. Like, there, are, sure, we could go back and talk about specific things. Because there is one, uh, uh, hmm. okay, oh, there is one, no, 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 no. Th- there is one aspect of this film that didn't bother me, but I can see it bothering some people, and I'm curious if you noticed it as well. Um, it would be very hard not to, but you'll you'll know what I'm talking about in a second. Um, there are a lot, and I mean a lot, of uh, Filipino actresses in this film that just appear as eye candy. And they are not even subtle about it, to the point that I'm pretty sure some people would have an issue with it, especially if it was reviewed these days by a bigger site. Um, It doesn't bother me in the slightest, but there are a few scenes where I'm just like, why? Why Why did we feel the need for that? And that's never, ever going to happen in a thousand years i don't care how attractive casper van Dien is or isn't you know what i mean it was just yeah. like uh i just felt like that was i i, I messaged someone else uh, i won't name drop who it is but i sent them a screenshot of matthias hughes in the um gentleman's club because obviously i made a point of saying that he doesn't really get to do anything and i kind of feel like there was a conversation where it was okay so we're gonna cut your action scene but to make up for it uh, two of the, the girls that are playing the strippers, yeah, we're going to give you a scene where it's just you and them for like a good solid five minutes before anybody comes in the room. Enjoy! You know, it just kind of felt like was that... Well, really? And that's, you know, I, I don't I don't know the thought process behind it, but, I, but I've got a feeling that's probably, you know, if you're, if you're an older actor and, and you know, and you're you're looking for reasons to do a movie. You're thinking, oh, okay, I can go to the I can go to the Philippines for three weeks and and get to hang out with strippers. That sounds fun, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, because I think I think that's that's probably a way that they sell the movie internationally. It's probably the way they get some of these people to sign on to it. Um, I I know for a fact that that's how uh, Seagal sells a lot of his Eastern European made films. That's why there's always you know, scantily clad Eastern European lady on the front cover, on the back cover, in the trailers. You know, it's like, yeah, there's, there's, there's no secret at all as to how some of his stuff gets sold. Yeah, and uh, to me, I just kind of accept that as part of as part of that low budget, you know, kind of shoddy Eastern European action film thing. I mean, but it, it is pretty egregious in this one. Um, uh, again, uh, not to keep praising Maximum Impact because I mean, because again, I only thought it was a two-star movie. 
but that also greatly improves on that aspect of it too. Because um, again, because it has Kelly Hugh as like the main character. She's kind of like the Casper Van Dien of that movie, but she's also more of the action lead. Like she has all the action movie heavy lifting in the film. So it, ha- it has much better gender politics in, in that respect. So again, I think again it shows a little bit of growth and a little bit of effort on on Nevsky's part because again these are all Nevsky's babies. So I, and I, again I, I and I don't know the guy other than what I've read from like interviews and the, a few articles here and there that I could find in English. But again, I think that he's really trying to make decent movies. He's just he's not really artistically inclined. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, sorry. What I was going to say um, was that. If you want to see, because obviously we're we're saying this is a low-budget film that doesn't really hit the mark. You might disagree with me, but if you do, that's a conversation for another time. But you could obviously feel free to say. I would actually say that if you want to watch a film that has Don the Dragon Wilson and Cynthia Rothrock when they're older, but still kicking ass and demonstrating how you can make a a, a very low-budget action film, but actually make it work... Go and watch a film called Death Fighter, because it's also on Tubi, it's also on YouTube, unfortunately, make of that what you will, and that is so much better than this film, and they get some really good fight scenes in that. I literally watched it straight after Showdown in Manila, and that was, well, I suspect partly made so much better because I just watched Showdown in Manila, Mm -hmm. but in general... It was just so much better. It has uh, Matthew Mullins as the main actor. Trust me, if you like low-budget action films, there's so much martial arts in it. You'll have a blast compared to this one. Yeah, I've I've not seen it. I will I will legitimately check that out because I, you know I I love discovering those kind of things. I love I love like taking a chance those kind of things and having my having my gamble rewarded. So I, I will watch that one. I'm I'm curious about it now. Well, funnily enough, it was a film I'd always wanted to watch because I'm actually a big Matt Mullins fan because of Kamen Rider Dragon Knight, which is a whole other conversation I'm not going to get into. But I never actually was able to watch it because it was stuck in production hell for ages when it was called White Tiger. And uh, then all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is that film and it's on Tubi as well. Sweet. So I watched it and uh, I I said to... uh, rob about it and i was like uh is have you seen death fighter and he was like yeah and i was like what did you think and he was like i actually really enjoyed it and i was like you know what so did i so i think if me and rob both enjoyed it then everybody can at least go and give it a try you know well and again i'm all for taking a chance on small movies i mean because that's actually part of my own you know it's part of my online presence is championing movies that other people kind of write off you know, you've seen that in the movies I talk about on my Twitter. If anyone who is listening to this who doesn't know me, feel free to check out my Twitter. I often talk about movies that are underappreciated or kind of looked over. So I, I relish getting to discover things like that. And I, I really am going to go look up that film on Tubi and check it out. Because if you guys haven't checked it, if, if our listeners haven't heard, haven't been to Tubi, you have to check out Tubi. It is like the, it is like the mom and pop video store in, in a virtual space. It is such a neat streaming service. It's free. You should have to deal with ads every now and then. The ads are usually very well placed. Highly recommended. And it has it has interesting things like Death Fighter. And if you're uh, an old school martial arts guy, like a like a really old school one, Death Fighter is also the final film that 
Joe Lewis participated in before he unfortunately passed away. Really? That's interesting. He Don't get me wrong. He's not in it much, but he is in it. And yeah, uh, the, the film actually has uh, in memoriam to him at the end of the film. Like that's how recent it was. Like he, he never saw this film release. Well, again, I'm I'm gonna check it out for sure because it sounds interesting. And like I said, I, and I always root for people like Cynthia Rothrock and John the Dragon Wilson because, again, these were video store staples when because I I'm of the age where I was watching these movies when they were coming out uh, as a young martial arts movie fan because I was going to the video store every week watching these things. I was watching them on, on HBO's Friday Night Action Block, you know, when they were premiering these Blood Fist movies uh, as like new first run films on HBO. So I always root for these guys. That's actually why I watched Showdown in Manila in the first place back in 2016. Because I I always root for people like Matthias Hughes and, and Olivier Kluner. Because these guys are, are kind of intrinsic to my film fandom. And, and the kind of person I've become today. You know, because those films, those kind of, those kind of low-budget films, were like... They were just like a source of comfort for me when I was younger. Like, I mean... I loved Hong Kong films, but I also liked, you know, the Blood Fist movies. I liked Nemesis. I liked China O'Brien. Because to me, I didn't really see a lot of difference between those and Hong Kong films. Now, the, world, the qualities, of course, is worlds different in reality. But uh, as a kid who just liked martial arts, I devoured it all. So I will always have a soft spot for these these kind of, kind of forgotten actors. Because I don't think they should be forgotten. Because their contributions to the genre of martial arts... Cannot be understated. I mean, they they've inspired a whole generation of of action stars that came after them, and so, and a lot of the movies they made really overachieved on very small budgets. So, again, to take it back to to, to Nevsky and his little universe of self you know produced films, I appreciate that he has the same reverence for these people and wants to do things with them, and I think that's really admirable. And it's another reason why. I can never, I'll never completely hate Onevsky again now that I know more about him and understand where he's coming from. Because again, he sees the value in these people too. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, I, I think it's important. I mean, our, our last off topic moment before we, we draw this to a close, obviously you being raised in America, me being raised in the UK, we had completely different experiences with low budget films because obviously HBO has never existed over here. It still doesn't exist over here. Cable packages don't exist over here. So the only way that direct-to-video films were seen is if you picked them up at a video store. And um, I didn't get exposed to these actors probably as much as a lot of Americans did, purely because we had much bigger access to Hong Kong films. Like I've had this conversation with uh, uh, several of the guys who've been on this podcast. Uh, e- even um, Alex, you know, over in France, he he had to go to like actual Chinese stores to pick up Hong Kong films. And then there's us being that, not to bring up a, a, a controversial topic, but when I was born, Hong Kong was still part of Great Britain. So their films were not hard to acquire because they were technically our films, if you yeah. want to look at it that way. And uh, you know, they were on late night television. They were they were they were the awfully bad dubbed versions, though. Don't get me wrong, but it meant that you could view them. You know, I I've seen all of the 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 Three Dragons films because they were on all of the time. Like my granddad had them on VHS, like recorded off the television. 
And when, you know, we could go to a store and rent VHS tapes, I do remember picking up Bloodfist and some Cynthia Rothrock stuff, but also, you know, a lot of the stuff wasn't treated with the same reverence that I think it would have been if we'd had like a big blockbuster type store. Because again, where I grew up, that didn't exist. They did exist in the UK, um, but where where I was, it, there was nothing like that. You know, there was a little uh, mom and pop VHS rental store called Video Bug, and then there was uh, a small section of like a supermarket-ish type place that had uh, a rental thing where you you got a membership and you could rent films that I don't quite remember. But point my point is is that their selection wasn't amazing. You know what I mean? <laughs> I do, I do, and and you know, and my experience with Hong Kong films that we've talked about before on your show, um, I I had to go to Chinese grocery stores and Chinese shops too to get my Hong Kong films. So it was actually a challenge for me to see things that were incredibly common for you, like all all, all the uh, Yoon Biao, Sam Hong, Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan films. I had to hunt those down. I sometimes had to pay a lot of money for them, um, as a, as a kid to, just to try to see them or go through a lot of effort, and. Uh, these are these films, these John the Dragon Wilson films, these theoretical American films, things like Nemesis with 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 Olivier, they were just littering video store shelves in in America because they, they, they weren't as expensive as like the the A list blockbusters. So every every video store that needed that needed you know inventory had tons of these things. So and and they weren't really revered when I was a kid. They were just kind of they were considered trash back then. But over time, as as practical action movies have kind of died out, our action movies, as like we, we're referring to action movies, have kind of died out. Um, these 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 stars, these old films, have kind of taken on a a bigger importance as like a nostalgia thing because they just don't exist anymore. Yeah, like you see people on Twitter talking about like the Tiger Claws trilogy, or again like China O'Brien or Martial Law One and Two. These weren't movies that were well liked when they came out. Um, in video stores, they were considered like bottom shelf junk, but they just don't make movies like that anymore. And when they don't make things like that anymore, you start to appreciate them because they're not constantly being thrown at you in like the never-ending stream of content. So if you haven't seen a movie like China O'Brien in five or six years, you start to miss that kind of tactile action movie. So now it's almost kind of become this kitschy sort of nostalgic thing. Where people are, people are younger than you and I, and I know you're you're younger than me, but I mean like people who are in their tw- who are in their you know late twenties, early thirties, or even younger, are discovering you know Billy Blanks and uh, Cynthia Rothrock and Don the Dragon Wilson, and they're enjoying them because there aren't movies like this being made nowadays. So it was like this it was like this whole thing of like wow they really don't make them like this anymore, and that they kind of they kind of attribute qualities to them that weren't there originally. Like they, people are talking about them now in an elevated way when they discover them if they like action, where they weren't that talking about that way when they were new. So I find that really interesting. I, I well, me too. But I, I also think some of that is because the audience has changed. Um, so Tiger Claws is an interesting example because, funnily enough, Mike also brought that up when he was on last, and uh, I, I I will now say the same thing I said to Mike, which is that I only own one Vinegar Syndrome disc set because again they're hard to get in the uk and they're not all region free and it's the tiger claws box set <laughs> yeah, the, the, the the vinegar syndrome stuff is nice they are so expensive um but yeah no i i feel the same is that direct 
to video TV movies, uh, action movies in general that featured martial arts in a big degree used to be dime a dozen. You could pick up yeah. almost any film and you could be guaranteed that someone in it knew martial arts and they'd be good at it and it would be entertaining. And the thing is, is like you said, that went away in the 2000s. Um, those budgets for the mid-level films that used to be direct-to-video films disappeared and ended up being the types of films that starred Scott Adkins, Michael Jai White, and that generation. But they had nothing to work with. Their budgets were tiny. Their shooting schedules were tiny. And so I think when audiences that have grown up with those films being their go-to action films, they go back and they see the bigger budgets in inverted commas of what 90s direct-to-video used to look like, of what 80s direct-to-video used to look like. I mean, I know some people that discover Chuck Norris films and they're amazed that he can do more than just throw one roundhouse kick in Walker's Texas Ranger. It's like, yes, there's a reason these people got famous. It doesn't mean that they stayed consistent doing it when they became famous. I mean, Van Damme is another example, you know, his 90s films are completely different to his 80s films when he was getting famous and then he became famous. And from there, everything went a bit haywire. But that's besides the point. But I feel like in in much the same way that the prequels for Star Wars were hated when they came out and now they're kind of beloved. And so many people want to put that on the sequels, which I'm not going to mention any more than that. But I don't think that had anything to do with it. I think Ewan McGregor hit the nail on the head recently when he said the people we made the films for were the kids. The kids are now the adults that were the age that their parents were when those films came out. So now they're the ones spending money making the decisions and they're going, no, this is good because this is what I grew up with, which is exactly what the their parents would have said about the original trilogy when comparing them to the prequels. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing now is people might not have liked these 90s films at the time, but all the people that grew up with them are like, no, they're good. It's just you couldn't appreciate them because they were so different to what you had in the 70s or the 80s, you know, depending on ages. But I think there's a lot to be said for that, that is it bad or is it just not what you're used to? Is it not what you want from it? And I think that's that's a, that's always an important question to ask when you look at films objectively. And I think that's what we really did here today when talking about Showdown in Manila. Uh, I, I think that's a good perspective to have, period, when, you, when you're evaluating films. And I think that a lot of people don't do that very well. It's a it's a skill you have to skill you have to really kind of be to think about and be cognizant of. And uh, not everyone does that. Not everyone thinks as deeply about the stuff as you and I are. And I think that's why podcasts like yours are important because we could take a movie that's honestly pretty disposable, like Showdown in Manila, to kind of tie it all back together and say, well, no, there there is interesting things about this. There there are things that are worth discussing and dissecting and talking about, and there are things about it worth applauding. Sure, a lot of it's dreck. A lot of it is dreck, just just you know, just garbage. But there's enough there that that has value and it's worth picking apart and talking about. And there's things to learn from from it and things to glean from it. And things that can influence how you look at other films that are similar or that come in its wake. Um, and that's why I think that, you know, this what Nevsky's doing and what a lot of these other people are doing by trying to, to bring to kind of 
keep these eighties, these eighties and nineties stars in 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 the present day, like Vinegar Syndrome with their releases, eighty eight films with their with their releases, uh, and just, you know the whole kind of film Twitter community that's kind of sprung up around action films that kind of again uh, holds up things like Tiger Claws and Expect No Mercy and Blood Moon. What they're saying is those movies have value, and there's things to be enjoyed about them, even if they're not what your average movie fan is used to. So I think that's an excellent point. I really do think that you hit the nail on the head there. I try. I try. But that is genuinely going to bring the show to a close. Uh, In all honesty, we actually, I think, talked about the film in record time. Uh, We stayed on topic pretty much almost all the way through, which is a a rarity on this show. We saved the off-topic-ish, because it wasn't really off-topic, but it kind of was for the end. And I'm like, oh, it almost sounds like we know what we're doing. I like this. So thank you once again, Matt, for joining me. And for everybody who's been waiting with bated breath, now is the time, Matt. Take it away. Okay, well, again, my name is Matthew Estry. You can find me on Twitter at Wheels Critic. That's wheels like wheels on a car and critic like I'm a film critic. Please come join me. I talk about films pretty much exclusively. I post clips. I post my reviews. Uh, I can always use more followers. Come, please. Stroke my ego. I desperately need it. But mostly, you know, I just, uh, if you, uh, I love being on your podcast. Thank you for having me. And if I have to say anything about myself, just keep in mind that I am a Ronin and my sword is my shitty movie opinions. And boom, that's my catchphrase. So there you are. You waited for the entire episode for it. There it is. There it is. And with that, guys, I'm going to hand you back over to myself, who, if he's anything like the, the me of right now, has absolutely no idea what is coming next week. We are really playing it fast and loose at this moment in time with the podcast. So hopefully future me has worked out what's happening. So I'm going to throw you over to him because he's got this shit locked down. And hello, folks. Future me here, a.k.a. present me. And he is right. I do indeed have everything together. But I will stress for the benefit of my past self that uh, I did not have everything together. If anything, things got worse after the chaos of when I recorded this episode, as this episode was naturally recorded long before my laptop died. At that point, I was just having very, very different issues. Little did I know that the worst was still to come. But it doesn't matter. It's all good. We're here now, and life is uh, tickety-boo. Allegedly. Anyway, I do indeed know what's coming next week because I teased it in the previous episode and uh, next week is going to be Boxing Day. I wasn't entirely sure if I was going to release an episode, but then Matt at the Film Feast podcast decided to come from on yonder high and deliver onto us a Christmas miracle. We're going to be talking about Die Hard. And yes, I heard those groans, even though I can't hear any of you. I'm aware of the fact that every man and his dog has talked about Die Hard, and I'm aware that it is a little bit of a contentious issue as to whether or not it is a Christmas film. I don't care. It fits. It works. It's happening. I hope you enjoy our conversation, regardless of your opinions on that particular matter. But it was a really good conversation, so you guys should definitely check it out. Please don't skip it. That said, by the time you do hear me next week, it will already have been Christmas. So I just want to say I hope you guys have a fantastic Christmas and 
enjoy the holidays if Christmas isn't your thing. And uh, fingers crossed, everybody has a swell time. I just want to thank my guest, Matthew, once again for being so patient, for coming on. You probably won't have to wait too long to hear him again. Although, as I'm saying that... Okay, yeah, you might have to wait a little while to hear him again. Uh, as I already have a bunch of episodes ready to go for the new year, so... Ignore me. Uh, maybe I don't have it as together as I think. <laughs> Either way, Showdown in Manila was a really interesting conversation. The one thing I will add just before we go is that it had been, for the longest time, a desire in me to have watched Maximum Impact so that I could briefly comment on what Matt said in the outro. You'd think, given how long it's been sat in my to-do list, that I would have found the time to do so. Unfortunately, it seems it's no longer on Tubi. I don't know when it left Tubi, but when I tried to watch it uh, the other day, when I realized that we were going to be catching up at last to this episode, it wasn't there anymore. So I have since found it somewhere else, but by that point, I it was too late. I just didn't have the time anymore, given what time of year it is. So I will watch Maximum Impact, and if it's, if it's really worth a conversation, I might do a follow-up episode. And if it's not, I'll probably do a follow-up tweet. Uh, so if you're not following me on Twitter, please do so, so you can keep up with me. Hopefully Twitter doesn't explode by the time you hear this, because at the time of recording, God knows what's going on over there. But fingers crossed it will all sort itself out. Maybe I should start a newsletter. Hmm. Let me know if you, th if you would like to hear more from the Action Addicts podcast. Would you like to hear stuff that isn't in the show that's never going to be an episode because there's definitely things I could do to talk about in the written form maybe even get a couple people to come on every now and then and guest I don't know I'm making this up as I talk but I, I've had this thought in the back of my head for a while and maybe with the way certain social media platforms are having my own thing might not be the worst idea if that would be of interest to you, I would love to hear it, whether you do so in a comment, in a tweet, in an email, or those of you who can just message me directly. I, I would love to hear that feedback. Either way, guys, thank you very much for listening to the very end. And uh, as always, take care of yourselves and I shall see you in the next one. On the action.